This is Mission Control Houston. Ignition sequence start. The reason I'm prepared for this position is because I've been preparing for this all my life. Our goal is to compete and, and really put a fun team on the court that really gets after it. T-minus 15 seconds, guidance is internal. We're very talented. I mean, we go out there and compete at a high level and give a lot of effort. We could be a good team. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What is up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your very next order. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and partner at Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, as well is at Apollo HOU. And joining us for the first time ever is longtime listener of the show, loyal Rockets fan, I should say, Andrew Sukup. How's it going, Andrew? It's going great, Jackson. Really appreciate the invitation. Happy to be here. Absolutely. You know, this is going to be a great experience because I feel like you are one of the uh, more active, uh, you know, people in the in the Rockets Twitter space. And so this is going to be a great opportunity to get, uh, you know, to, to, I guess, get you in the podcasting scene and get you a chance to elevate your voice even further and kind of share some of your thoughts and opinions about what's going on with this team. But before we get into this slate of topics that we've got kind of lined up, some of the the news, uh, the, the recent breaking news just a few hours ago as we're sitting down to record this uh, on a Thursday evening. Uh, the news about Kyrie Thomas. Before we get to that and a few other topics, Andrew, why don't you give us a quick, you know, rundown? Who are you, right? Where, where does your Rockets fandom kind of originate from? Uh, you know, let it, let our listeners know a little bit about who you are. Yeah, sure. So uh, I am not a native Houstonian. A um, little bit of a, a different different journey to Rockets Rockets fandom. I grew up in uh, Syracuse, New York, and was a uh, college basketball fan growing up. No no NBA up there. Uh, my first introduction to Houston basketball was way back in 1982 when the University of Houston traveled up to the Carry Dome to play my beloved Orange Men. And they were led by this by Clyde Drexler and this really tall guy with a weird name, Akeem Abdul Olajuwon. It was actually his freshman year at UH. And they came up to to play the big bad uh, Syracuse Orangemen on national TV, and I went to that game, and I was stunned by this Elijah Wan kid, the incredible athleticism. I think in the first half of that game, he had like seven block shots and four or five incredible dunks. Um, the uh, the athleticism and ability uh, that Akeem showed was remarkable was also, I think, really funny that he also showed that he had really almost no idea how to play basketball at that time because in the second half of that game, I distinctly remember uh, my, you know, the Syracuse came out and they befuddled Akeem by throwing bounce passes past him. He had no idea how to handle a bounce pass, so his, his, he would come out to challenge the shooter and they'd bounce pass it past him seven or eight times, and he just didn't know how to handle that. So very early in Akeem's basketball journey i first caught him so i tried to keep touch with him and watch him over the years and then we moved down here to houston in uh, very early 1995 so we caught the second championship 
run just you know a few weeks before Clyde got traded back here and enjoyed that run and like hey you Rockets are great and unfortunately they've never been back to the finals since but it's been a it's been a crazy ride since uh, since 95 with uh, with with Houston but it all started watching uh, uh, this the skinny Elijah Wan guy long long time ago in a long place far far away from here that's incredible. I, I really love that. And so, so, and I feel like, like many other people, right, you know, Houston is such a beautiful city of, you know, transplants and people who, you know, move here and then, you know, fall in love and, and call this place home. So you might not be native Houstonian, but you are longtime Houstonian, right? Long, longtime Houstonian. So 26 years now. I love it. And, and the fact yeah. that, you know, the fact that you, that, that memory, you know, comes from, you know, the great, uh, now, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon, uh, is amazing. And the, that you were able to catch kind of, you know, at least the second end of the, uh, the back-to-back years. That's great. Uh, and that's a great way. That's a great introduction as well. So kudos, Andrew, probably one of the better introductions that I've, uh, had on this very podcast. So let's go ahead and kind of, we've got the, the, the news, the beefy, delicious news right here at the top, which is that Kyrie Thomas, has clearly impressed in his, you know, short-lived tenure with the Houston Rockets, so much so that, as reported by Kelly Eco of The Athletic, the Rockets are going to be committing a multi-year deal to Kyrie Thomas here very shortly. Now, we don't have specifics on what this deal is going to look like, but the fact that they're ready to extend a multi-year deal, which we can safely imagine, Andrew, right? I mean, we can presume this is probably going to be a three-year deal so that they can have his bird rights, right? Is that a safe presumption on my part? Almost guaranteed. It's going to be a three-year deal starting at the at the rookie minimum, maybe a bit more to entice him to sign, and the second two years likely non-guaranteed. All right. Um, you know, a Daryl Morey special that uh, Sam Hinkie also used a lot during the early years of the process. Yeah. So and I think it, it really kind of speaks volumes and in a way almost kind of, you know, based on what we were getting ready to kind of discuss here, which we're going to uh, jump into in just a moment is talking about, you know, of this, you know, core group of Rockets players of the uh, I can't say of the 29 players we've seen suit up this season because a few of them aren't here anymore. But uh, of the guys that are still here, um, which of them we'd like to see return past the kind of core four. And I know that Kyrie Thomas was probably going to be, you know, a guy that, you know, might have been on the bubble if we were to pick, you know, two or three names of guys that we might want to see back. So and I've been a little bit, Andrew, I've been a little bit hesitant as of late in just the idea that, you know, should the Rockets be ready to commit money or commit, you know, deals to the likes of Kyrie Thomas and Armani Brooks, you know, this early with, you know, such a small sample size, or should they kind of, you know, wait until the true offseason and see how some of the other uh, roster moves might shake out because there's a lot of guard depth ahead of those guys. Do you think that they might have jumped the gun on Kyrie Thomas, or do you think this is a smart move by the front office? I think it's a really smart move by the front office, Jackson. Um, you got to think overall. Look at the position the Rockets are in. They need they need talent upgrades. They need to take flyers on upside, and these contracts are easily get out of. Like I said, they're likely to be non guaranteed or you know, very little money guaranteed. So the the downside risk here is pretty small. And yeah, why not take a shot at it for someone like uh, from for someone like Kyrie? You're gonna. He's he's likely to get you know the nine hundred thousand or the one one point five million two year veteran minimum non with a guarantee date middle of the next season as late as Stone can can get it. If he doesn't work out, 
he hasn't shown enough in that time. If you cut him, you're not losing anything. Um, I think that this this right now and then next season, the Rockets are going to be back in the 2010 era where they're cycling through players to find something that hits. They're 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 panning for gold, and you know, let's see what Kyrie can do. Let's see what Armani can do. Right? Um, they did that with Jason Jason Tate and Kevin Martin KJ Martin Jr. They struck some you know, gold, but silver, right? Something good came out of there. So I think we're going to be seeing a whole lot more of that going through next year as well. So, yes, I think it's a good idea for them to have done this. And I can, and I can get behind that. I think a lot of my hesitancy just kind of comes from just, again, there's so many unknowns on how this offseason is going to play out and the biggest domino of which you know is still kind of waiting to drop, which is, of course, whether or not the Rockets will retain control of their uh, – draft pick this season, which as you have so eloquently put many a time on Twitter, uh, the fact that they don't have their draft pick this year, that they gave up that draft pick back when they uh, orchestrated the uh, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook trade, and that they have a 52.1% chance to retain or to, to regain their draft pick, I should say, this season, which I think is a uh, wonderful you know, way to kind of frame this situation and definitely uh, might ease the, you know, if they don't, it might ease the pain a little bit if uh, if the pick does wind up conveying and going to Oklahoma City. But we're going to dive into here in just a moment. We want to talk about, uh, you know, we kind of spent here a moment talking about Kyrie Thomas and, and that contract and the fact that the Rockets are obviously very high on him. But uh, we want to talk about the other young guys and, you know, the direction this team may go and some of the names that we want to see back uh, in a Rockets jersey next season. And we're going to get there after a quick message from our friends over at betonline.ag. Look, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all the action over at BetOnline, but not just baseball. You can also track UFC, NHL, NBA. I mean, the playoffs are right around the corner. You name it, BetOnline probably has it. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in on the action, and be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D, Owen for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, chatting with Andrew right now. Now, Andrew, let's go ahead and, you know, this has been a season where Thankfully, there have been a few silver linings throughout the season, and I think we can safely point to that young core of Christian Wood, Jay Sean Tate, Kevin Porter Jr., and now the most recent, you know, uh, almost some, you know, in a way he's played some transcendent basketball as of late, uh, KJ Martin. And of that four, I think we can safely say that, you know, almost any Rockets fan that you would hold the microphone up to would say that they would want all four of those players back next season. So... Where I want to go with you is, of the other players on this roster, of the guys who, you know, are 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 not guaranteed to be back next season, uh, the the Kelly Olynyk, the Armani Brooks, uh, you know, the David Nwaba, Sterling Browns, those guys. What what are who are say we'll say two maybe three names that you think you'd really like to see back in a Rockets jersey and why? And and I'm also going to throw in a few of mine as well because at the end of the day. 
there's only so many roster spots to go around, right? And, you know, as nice as it would be to have another season, well, not really nice to have another season where 29 different players suit up, but as great as it would be to keep on, you know, to hold on to some of these names that we've kind of, you know, grown fond of over the season, there's only 15 spots. So where are you going? Who do you want to see back almost guaranteed next season? Yeah, that's a great question. And they're, they are, I think they are going to run into a roster crunch, especially when you think about having two or three draftees on the roster next year. Um, so out of that group, I narrowed it down to Kelly Olenek. I think the, he's added so much to the team in his, in his short time here. And I don't see that what he's doing here is unsustainable, right? Maybe his shootings, a little, uh, he's just on a hot streak shooting, but the way he fits into Silas's system next to Christian Wood, it's, it's pretty seamless. And so I really would like to see him get back with the Rockets. Don't know how much money, what kind of contract he's really going to be able to command out in the market in free agency. But um, I think that's a deal worth getting done, and that's worth an investment if, if, if Kelly wants to, wants to be here. Uh, next season as well before i let you get to your next guy i mean what you talk about you know an investment in kelly olenic in your mind let's you know you put on your gm hat your rafael stone for a moment obviously you have to you know kind of see what the market is going to present to him as far as potential offers but in your mind what would you safely be willing to commit to kelly olenic you know, are you thinking more of a long-term deal? Are you thinking maybe a bloated short-term deal? Uh, you know, what would you be comfortable with contractually with Kelly Olynyk? I think there's two ways to go here. You could do a, a three to four-year deal in the 12 million range, probably no more than three for me, or a two-year where you know two-year 30 deal, you know, or he's or 32 deal where he's getting 20 and 12, something like something like that. Um, I don't want to tap too many years because I really want to keep cap space for when John Wall's contract comes off the books, um, whether that's in two years and with a buyout or three years. When his money's gone, they need to be able to have room for a max deal on the, on the shelf. So whatever free agents, whether it's Olenek or somebody they signed with an MLE this summer, um, their contract has to be timed for to give the uh, Stone – a chance to go after uh, free agents with max slots in 2023, 2024. Okay. And I can kind of, I can get behind those numbers. You know, I kind of argued that on the upper end for Kelly Olenek, I'd be safe, you know, comfortable somewhere around that upper, upper limit of about 15 million a year. Uh, I think, uh, you know, a few weeks back, I was chatting with Anthony Duckett of Space City Scoop about that situation specifically, because I do agree. I think Kelly Olenek has, kind of fit in very seamlessly here. He speaks very highly of Steven Silas. We're seeing Kelly Olenek do things that he hasn't done in his NBA career to this point. You know, he's played, you know, he played point guard previously when he was younger, and suddenly now he's kind of been given the freedom in this offense to showcase his ball handling skills, his playmaking skills, and we're kind of seeing a new version of Kelly Olenek. And I do agree that the fit alongside Christian Wood, while at times defensively the fit has been you know a bit questionable I think it's very very clear that offensively those two have started to learn how to play off of each other very very well so seeing that you know chemistry continue to blossom you know you would imagine that the defense will would hopefully get better between those two with you know a proper training camp and all these different things so I'm on board with that what other which other guys are you uh coming at me with next on my list is Sterling Brown 
I think he's has been the best of the holdover three and D wings, you know, between he and and Nuwaba and and some of the other guys that have cycled through here. Uh, you know, before he got hurt, uh, he was showing some really terrific defense, forty two percent on his three point attempts. Um, it's really sad, you know, what happened to him at the, uh, you know, uh, on his uh, he and the KPJ at jaunt the booby trap. <laughs> at Just that booby trap. Say it with gusto, Andrew. At the booby trap. <laughs> at the booby trap. I'm wondering how good the wings are there. I mean, we, we you know what we should just touch base with uh, Lemon Pepper Lou. I bet he knows. I bet I bet he does. Um, you know, thankfully uh, Sterling isn't wasn't seriously hurt because that video was pretty scary. Um, we saw about him, but yeah, um, it was a tough. Early, if you had asked me this a couple months ago, I would have said David Nawaba, but um, his shot never came around. He's been he was awesome on defense, but his he just wasn't hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, and maybe that's not going to continue. That's going to be the trend, his lack of, of availability. So between those two, I, I think Sterling Brown is is worth it. And ideally on another minimum deal. But if you have to break a little bit into their uh, MLE to, to get him to sign for a couple of years, I think that would be worth it. You know, I think it's so interesting the obviously the Sterling Brown situation wishing him you know the best it sounds like he's recovering um, from obviously the instant that it did happen you know not to make light of it with all the you know the booby trap jokes and whatnot but um, I remember Kelly 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 Eco did a you know a mailbag uh, like not an AMA but a mailbag um, kind of answering some questions and somebody asked him a question about Sterling Brown and Kelly kind of said that uh, he didn't envision Sterling Brown coming back because of the incident specifically at the booby trap. Um, or, or, and, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, and I don't want to get the aggregation wrong on this, but I remember reading that thinking, really? Like, I remember thinking, was that really a situation that, you know, would would kind of force the hand of the Rockets' front office to, to reconsider committing money to this player long term when he as you illustrated absolutely did a wonderful job up until that moment you know kind of fitting in seamlessly being a really great 3 and D wing um you know showing some prowess you know at times uh really out of necessity as you know a secondary ball handler a little bit he can slash he can defend multiple positions he was shooting well from behind the arc and in my head I really thought I was like I don't think that situation would would prevent the rockets from you know, committing, you know, committing to him long-term as a player. I don't think that's necessarily uh, a true marker of what his behavior off the court is like, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And it's tough for any of us to know the real, the true backstory of what happened, what happened there. And so maybe there's more that we don't know. And the fact that he was with Kevin Porter and, you know, that's gotta be an incredibly sensitive subject for the whole Rockets organization, making sure KPJ is doing everything he needs to do um and maybe there maybe there's more to that story that we don't know and you know they're very concerned about that i I had not seen that from kelly eco yeah and i mean it was it was just one of those where and i kind of the it kind of flew a little bit under the radar um and 
you know, and I think it was just something like, I think somebody asked, like, do you see like Sterling Brown coming back next year? And that was the, that was kind of the response was based on, you know, that, that series of events, you know, he kind of doesn't see him coming back because that kind of, there's some concerns there or something along those lines. Um, I'll have to, you know, pull back up the, uh, the mailbag piece and, right. and you know, uh, confirm my, the exact wording on it, but it's there somewhere. Um, so you can go check it out. But, um, uh, with that, I think in, unless you have anything else to add on Sterling Brown, I do want to get you know at least one more name from you. Yeah, that's about on Sterling Brown. I mean, if he had, if it, there's other reason for him to go, then I mean, he's it, you know those guys are are replaceable. Um, but the third one would be Armani Armani Brooks, and that's a bit of a change for me because I was I've been slow to come around on him, but his recent play has has convinced me that he's worth taking a more of a shot on. Um, I think he's got some work to do. When he first came on board, I was reminded of Troy Daniels. And I was like, okay. And, you know, Daniels stuck around for a little bit in, in the league, but um, didn't carve out a great career. It wasn't someone you, you missed if he was gone. Um, but Armani's showing a bit more, a more, little more capability than he did in the past and more than Troy Daniels really ever did. Um, but So he's got a lot of room to to grow if he really wants to carve out a spot in the NBA. But I think there's something there. And like I said, if he could, we could get him for and one of those non-guaranteed three-year deals, I think that's something we could, uh, the stone could really, should really look into. As someone who, you know, had the pleasure of, you know, being able to cover Armani, um, you know, when he was even younger than he is right now, which, you know, reminder, he's only, I believe, 22 years old. I think that's correct off the top of my head. I should have had his bio pulled up, but I didn't have space with my 17 other million tabs that I have open. Um, So, but as somebody who covered him, you know, from his University of Houston Cougar days, you know, I think that the thing with Armani is that he, you know, went through that program with, with Kelvin Sampson. And I think that that program, you know, Kelvin speaks so highly of the players that he seeks to bring into the to the basketball program at the University of Houston. And he's always about finding, like, good kids. That's that's his mentality. He doesn't want to bring somebody in who thinks that, you know, they're a hot shot. And, yeah, they might be talented and they, you know, whatever. He wants to bring in good, moldable kids who he can teach, you know, proper lessons and teach them, you know, in his vision, right, the right way to play basketball, which is obviously – a very, very much a defense first, you know, mentality, identity, all of that. And so I think he had the proper upbringing and he's, you know, been molded to a point where I think he's got a really solid foundation and he's got the right tools to be, you know, a quality NBA player. And very similarly to Kyrie Thomas, uh, if the Rockets decide to commit, you know, a little bit of money to him and to lock him up into a three-year deal, which I believe he's a restricted free agent at the end of the season. So it should be relatively easy for the Rockets to lock him up into a long-term deal should they decide to do it. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's they one can of those... Make him, they can make him a restricted free agent if they extend him a qualifying offer for a two-way contract next year. And that only comes with a $50,000 guarantee. So easily waivable if they don't want to, and then they could always put him on a uh, full NBA contract. So actually, they don't even have to sign him to the a real full multi-year NBA contract right now, um, because they can because he's on a two-way now. Just a qualifying offer for next year's two-way slot keeps him a rocket. 
Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's there's pathways, there's avenues to retain him without committing you know, any you know sizable amount of money. And at this point, I don't think it's not necessarily even the money aspect that's just the issue. It's just there's only so many roster spots to go around. And so as we're going to discuss here in just a moment, uh, we have, you know, kind of the curious case of John Wall and Eric Gordon. You know, so you've got Wall, Gordon, Kevin Porter Jr., and that's three guards that are clearly ahead in the pecking order if they're around starting next season, uh, ahead of you know Armani Brooks and Kyrie Thomas. So you know, at what point do you feel comfortable committing, you know, five of your fifteen roster slots to you know to 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 essentially guards and, and not even really you know, not even really combo guards. I guess at this point, I think maybe Kyrie Thomas and KPJ. You make that argument a little bit more so there. Eric Gordon, sure, but then you know, just at what point do you run out of spaces where you think, okay, we're committing too much to to one area of the team, and we need to you know move our focus to another position of need or or whatnot? Like you said early on, they'll have you know at least probably two or three draftees that they're planning to sign there, and no matter what, regardless of what happens with the pick, they're going to have three draft picks this season. Now, whether or not all three of those picks become Houston Rockets is kind of TBD. But again, this is where some of my hesitancy comes from, you know, guaranteeing uh, roster spots right now for next season, you know, locking into players uh, on deals this early while there's still so many more moves that have to be made this offseason. But we're going to talk about the interesting situations with John Wall and Eric Gordon in just a moment after a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. So if you've never had a protein bar that you've actually enjoyed, right? A protein bar where you've bitten into it and you thought, this is delicious. You have to check out Built Bar. They are the best protein bars on the market. They have so many amazing flavors to choose from. Salted caramel, raspberry, coconut almond, my personal favorite, coconut brownie chunk. You cannot go wrong with it. All these bars, they're they're basically not even protein bars. They're like candy bars that are jam-packed with protein. So many amazing flavors, and you can check them all out. Just go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your very first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your very first order at BuiltBar.com. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, chatting with Andrew Sukup. Now, Andrew, this is a, this is a situation that we've kind of had to talk about all year, pretty much ever since the reality of the Kevin Porter Jr. situation, you know, started to unfold in front of our very eyes. You know, we we've been plagued with this discussion that has you know reared its ugly head more than one one time on Rockets Twitter on this very podcast. What will happen with John Wall? You know, how does he factor into this team moving forward? And by and to a lesser extent, how does one Eric Gordon? factor into this team moving forward. And I think it's a very interesting, delicate situation because hard conversations have to be had with John Wall about what his goals are, where he thinks he can see himself fitting into this organization. Obviously, what happens if the Rockets bring in a top prospect like a Jalen Suggs or a Cade Cunningham? Can you reasonably see them bringing one of the you know one of the top prospects in this draft off the bench just because John Wall is still here? I mean, there's so many different variables to consider here. You know, what is your first you know kind of takeaway or or idea in, in this you know interesting dynamic with John Wall and how this Rockets team you know might be best served moving forward with him? Are, I like. I guess are you are you out on John Wall? Do you think that he needs to go, or do you want to see him suit up as a Houston Rocket next season? Is a good place to start. 
Yeah, I've been out on John Wall for a while. Um, really appreciate the effort and applaud that he's come back so, as well as he has from his his devastating injuries. But you know, with the state of the team there is now, there really isn't a place. There really isn't a place for him. And I'm sure he's an incredibly intelligent guy, and he knows this as well. Uh, so I'm sure they're going to have – they probably already have been having those frank conversations with stone and wall and walls agent about what's the best path forward for both parties. Difficulty is there isn't a good path forward for both parties. Um, Cause right. I mean, John wall is probably on one of the top three most untradable contracts in the NBA. I don't, I don't to- like that for, I don't like that phrase untradable contract. It gives me PTSD, Andrew. Oh, no, I hear you. To the extent nothing's untradeable, he could be traded, but neither you or I or anyone in Rockets Rockets fan would like the number of assets that would have to be packaged with him to to move his contract. And that would be my number one rule. I'd rather have him stay and contribute as best he can as long as we – if it's that or we have to send two draft picks out with him. Yeah, I mean, between the two, you know, I, I have been firmly in the camp all season long of the Rockets are absolutely, you know, they find themselves in the middle of a rebuild. You know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Um, the, the moment they moved on from James Harden, it didn't matter if they were trying to, you know, angle themselves towards the playoffs again. They were, you know, rebuilding the moment they moved on from James Harden. And so in that, you are inherently in asset accumulation mode. And so to you know, leverage any assets just to get off of a bad deal in, you know, what is John Wall's contract, the the albatross, you know, 40 plus million, whatever, you know, 41 million that he's owed, uh, 90 million over the next couple of years. Um, you know, it just doesn't make any logical sense. Now, the biggest issue, though, is, you know, it, it, you can't exactly, I mean, can they, could they Andre Drummond him? Could they like just bench him and say, hey, we don't have, we don't have minutes for you. Like we just, we, we need to prioritize, you know, the development, the growth of this young core, because that's the direction that this franchise is going. And, you know, I wonder if it's going to get to that point or if they might be able to find some type of a middle ground and agreement of sorts where a buyout may be possible. Now, you know, buyouts are always tricky because how much money is said player willing to give up? I think, you know, and it's always, you know, tough trying to speculate and put yourself in, in this player's shoes and talking about giving up, you know, X number of millions of dollars. But if you're Wall, could you conceivably, like, you know, could you picture a team being willing to pay this version of John Wall somewhere in the 15 to 20 million a year range? Is that out? Is that completely out of line? No, I don't think so. And, you know, I know uh, Kelly Eco and John Hollinger speculated on this in an article a couple weeks ago. And I think that's, this is the most like the most likely path. Um, yes, I don't know if, what John Wall's market value would be this summer as a free agent, an MLE guy, perhaps ten million dollars a year, and would he be willing to give up twenty million in order to go sign with someone um, anywhere he has a better role and a better fit with the overall team? Um, Tillman's going to be paying a lot of money to him regardless, but just how much would would Wall be willing to give back in order to to get his freedom and get to a better situation? Um, that's probably the heart of the heart, the tough conversation that needs that needs to be had. 
Because if, but, if we if we say right if so if we say right we're using the ballpark because it's somewhere in that ninety range right over the next yeah, he's, two years he's owed he's owed ninety two million over the next two years okay so so if we say you know ninety two million over the next two years if if he's able to snag a contract you know in the uh, MLE range or potentially even higher even more north of that if there's a team that has some cap space that would be willing to throw again conceivably a 15 maybe even a 20 million dollar a year contract at John Wall because he still has shown flashes of his pre-injury production level um and I I firmly believe that John Wall can still contribute to a winning identity for a championship contender I think that he came back this season and the flashes that he showed when he was engaged when he was locked in defensively when he was playing like the John Wall of old he can very much still be like a, you know, potentially a second or third string guy on a team that's fighting for a championship. I think that's kind of where his role is best or where his talents are best suited at this stage in his career. So if a team is willing to offer him that, at that point you consider, right? The, yeah, you then consider the, doing that. You can, Well, you um, consider taking that dive if you're the team, but I'm talking about I, where I was going to go with that is just the the money that he'd be willing to give up past whatever that actual contract is. Like, would he be willing to give up, like, leave $10 million on the table? $20 million, right? Like, how much is his freedom away from the Rockets and ability to compete for a championship worth to him? And then that would all equate to savings for Tillman Fertitta and just and for the rockets to be able to move on from him and have the opening and not have that cloud kind of hanging over the franchise. Yeah, that's a tricky negotiation and you know no one can no one can answer that except for John Wall himself how much he'd be how much he'd value doing that. Um on the on the flip side, you know in the dark scenario where the rockets don't keep don't or don't reclaim their top 4 pick and aren't able to draft you know a Jalen Suggs or or someone in the backcourt where they really want to groom alongside KPJ. Holding on to Wall for one more year is, wouldn't be the worst the worst move in the world, right? Um, they are going to need someone to be there, right? And rather than make a bad deal, keeping him for for another year, I think is still a viable option. As you said, he's he can contribute. He's not a star any longer. Um, and he's willing to take a backseat to KPJ and more shift into more of a, a mentor role, albeit an extremely expensive mentor, for another year. And then it makes his moving his contract more palatable in summer 2022. I think that's still a viable strategy. And it, it does all hinge on you know his mentality towards the situation. And I think that you know we've just kind of seen that there's just been lingering frustration from him. You know based on you know, his play style, how he looked while he was out there, um, some of the body language between him and, and other players on the court, uh, most notoriously that of, you know, Christian Wood, who shows a lot of, you know, or had mo- multiple moments where he showed a lot of frustration, um, you know, or exasperation, really, you know, when John Wall and he were uh, just not on the same page uh, on the basketball court together. And so... That's a, that's a great point, Jackson. You're right. If those two can't get along, then the situation becomes much more urgent to to move him along. Absolutely. You know, Christian Wood's happiness and, and by extension the just the the overall happiness level of the of that core four, you know, and how much they they buy in and, and you know enjoy playing with each other and all that, it's felt like a very different team since John Wall, you know, was shut down for the remainder of the season. It feels like the team just 
coalesces a little bit better when he's not out there. Now, whether that be out of necessity because there isn't a, you know, quote unquote floor general out there, a guy that they can look to as a safety net of sorts where, oh, you know, I got the rebound. Where's it going to go? It's going to go immediately into John Wall's hands versus now, you know, uh, KP, well, not KPJ, who has missed the last few games, but, you know, KJ Martin, Kelly Olynyk, whoever, right? They're getting the rebound and they're just running in transition. They're playing so much more freely. And again, Point it is Jason Tate. Point Tate, another one, right? You know, it, yeah. and, and they're doing it more freely because they don't have that, you know, that immediate, oh, Wall's on the court. I just have to give him the rock, right? He's the point guard. I got to give him the ball. Um, you know, it's, it's almost very reminiscent in a way, right. Of, you know, when James Harden was on the court, Harden's on the court, where's the ball going to go? It's going to go in Harden's hands. And that's not exactly a bad place for the ball to be, but it's different when you're talking, you know, James Harden versus John Wall. Yeah. I, I know John Wall. I've, he's not James Harden. Um, he doesn't. So yeah, it's not the same, uh, but yeah, the really also maybe 2020 this season has kind of been a, a half of an era break, you know, Harden left um, and everything's different, but it's not a full clean all new era because of holders like with wall veterans, like wall and Eric Gordon, maybe this summer is all right. We're going to take the big hit now clear the old era. Totally. And I'm, I'm counting, I'm counting wall as part of the old era, even though he's not just his first year here, but we're going to explore that buyout and we're going to move Eric Gordon and we're going all in on the core four plus the, the you know the the other projects and whoever we've gotten in the draft, and that's where we're going to go into 2021, 2022 with clean sheet, in effect. If you had to take a guess, you know, as to as we're kind of we're we've got one more thing that we've got to touch base on because uh, you know we've got to talk about uh, the Houston legend. Bill Worrell, which I haven't even mentioned Bill Worrell and the news that he'll be stepping away from the booth yet on this podcast. There's been so many other things that have been happening this week, but we're going to talk about that in just a brief moment. But if you had to guess what happened, because we spent this entire segment talking about John Wall and we didn't talk Eric Gordon even one even one brief moment. Do you think, I mean, obviously the Eric Gordon situation, not quite nearly as dire as the John Wall one. Um do you yeah, think I think he, I think Gordon will be traded. Okay. Do you think but do, do you think he has played his last game for the Rockets yet or do you think he's more of maybe like move him at the deadline next season, let him play up his value um to start the year similarly to what was kind of happening this season before unfortunately the the unfortunate groin injury for him uh, against the Kings. Yeah, I don't I I don't think he'll play for the Rockets again. I think he if it wasn't for the, his injury, he would have he would have been traded before the deadline. Uh, it's time to move, and I Frank, I'm, I strongly suspect that he could have come back this season, and they just held him out. They just made a quiet agreement that he was done, and I, they're both they're going to part ways this summer. I can I can get behind that, and it'll be it'll be bittersweet to see Eric Gordon move on, just like it was you know with PJ Tucker and you know so many of the other you know parts of this team that you know were the the relics of obviously the totally 2017 agree. 2018 team. And I suspect just we should probably should throw in Daniel House as well. I suspect he will get uh, maybe he's part well, one of the sweeteners to uh, along with Eric Gordon because you know young guy, productive, very favorable contract. Um, I, I suspect he'll be part of some deal this summer as well. 
you know, that's that's a topic for another day, Andrew, because I'm not 100% sold on the idea of Andrew, or uh, not Andrew, well, I, it, Daniel, Andrew, I don't know why I'm getting those mixed up. It's the, it's I don't know, I guess it's the D sound in there, whatever. Um, so I'm, Andrew, I'm not completely sold on the idea that Daniel House Jr. doesn't have a role on this team moving forward, but we're going to have to address that another time because really quickly, as we're wrapping this podcast up, we have to, you know, drop a couple shout outs to the legend, the man, the myth himself, Bill Worrell, who will be calling his very last Rockets game, uh, you know, this, uh, this last home game against the Clippers last game of the season at home for this Rockets team. And, um, it's been a journey with Bill, and he's given so many Rockets fans, yourself, me, you know, countless other fans, you know, memories that will last a lifetime. Uh, to you, what are what are some of the standout moments that you remember from Bill Worrell and his years calling Rockets games? I remember listening, hearing Bill call Hakeem and calling Charles, and I think he's the one who came up with Stevie Franchise. As, as a nickname, and then, you know, with Yao Ming, um, playing, having fun, having fun with Yao, just so many things over, over the, uh, over the years. Uh, on Twitter the other day, when the announcement came out, <clears throat> I kind of stuck up for Bill as an old school, older archetype, archetype type play-by-play guy, kind of, uh, uh, I called him a genial Homer, nice guy, clearly Homer, he doesn't try to be uh, neutral, and that's kind of out of out of vogue in today's world. Um, you know, you listen to you know people on uh, NBA Twitter. They you know they they don't like that kind of guy. So you know, he got a lot of flack for the Rockets broadcasts over the last few years. And I thought that was totally undeserved, right? He's not he wasn't there for the national audience. He was there for Rockets fans, and he did a great job being like one of us, being a fan who's there to got to call the game and really enjoying the players. And was rooting for the Rockets. I thought that was great. And you know his signature—they shot from Sugarland, way down in Baytown. Um, and then you know it must have been so much fun for him calling James Harden for the last eight years. All right, all the exciting plays and cold-blooded, cold-blooded stepbacks. Right, you know, cold-blooded and shooting from whatever Houston suburb he came up with are his signature calls, and you know they were always great. Cold-blooded three always hits, you know, it just anytime you hear it, you know, James Harden with a cold-blooded three, just the, just the way he has such a, you know, a perfect voice and energy for broadcasting. And I think that it, you know, obviously, you know, this season and maybe a little bit last season too, there were, you know, some, some slippages here and there, you know, and I think this season, especially probably, you know, a bit harder doing the broadcast, you know, changing, changing gears. This is something that I've spoken about with Craig Ackerman on this show about, you know, how hard it is for a, you know, a play-by-play guy with all that experience to go from calling games, you know, live in a traditional sense to, to having to call the game, you know, on a, on a TV, you know, looking at it on a jumbotron um, instead of calling a real live game. Yeah, it must be really very difficult to make that transition. Yeah, but, and 
So for for Bill, but I'm really to, looking forward to Craig Ackerman. Also, though, um, it's I think not he, I think it's not official yet, right? <laughs> but I mean, we can kind if, of if Ackerman doesn't get that job, we should riot. We we really sh- probably should because I think there's there's no there's obviously no better fit than Craig Ackerman to become the full time uh, play by play guy both for home games and road games now, um, which will provide you know a complete shift. It means potentially Matt Thomas doing radio full time, which uh, would bring back, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the gentleman's name. You have to help me out here. Uh, John Paul Stevenson to the PA, to potentially the PA? full-time. Yeah. Although, you know, frankly, I think Matt Thomas is is the iconic PA guy, but if he wants to be the radio play-by-play, I, I can't blame him. Yeah, so it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens and how that domino effect uh, does eventually work out. But I do have to also shout, you know, there, there's one more, right? Obviously, you know, they were talking about it on the broadcast the other night, but um, Bill Worrell did come up with Air Bullard, which was a great one. Uh, and then I can't, obviously not, not as iconic as some of the other, you know, calls or names in Rockets history, but I will never forget, hey, bud, let's party. Like, I mean, that's just <laughs> <laughs> how good of a call. Absolutely. That Just, was, it was, it, that's awesome. I think the, the iconic, the, the things, ones he came up with, I spent some time on, on YouTube looking for ones earlier, and they're just so many over and, the years from such a career. And there's some, and there's even some like Warrellisms in there, right? Like just moments where you think, you know, as he just, he was so genuine. And sometimes you, he would just say something, you'd be like, whoa, okay, Bill. Like, and, and I think, you know, one of the funniest moments, uh, cause I, I spent some time too, kind of, you know, strolling down memory lane and looking at some highlights and whatnot. And, um, I think one of my favorite ones was uh, Ryan Anderson uh, against the the Blazers was struggling. Uh, I, I believe it was the Blazers. I think I, I looked through so many different highlights and was listening to so many different calls, but this one stood out because he was struggling to shoot the ball. And right before he drilled his first three, he had gotten smacked in the face. And Bill Worrell goes, "Slap him again!" Like just <laughs> slap him again. Yes, I saw that was a great one. And, and I also like that he he would get when the Rockets were playing badly. He would, you know, he was a homer, but he would call him out and like, why isn't anybody playing any defense here? He, he would even say that about Harden, right? Um, and called James out for, you know, his occasional uh, lapses on defense. Um, and so he wasn't totally, you know, on in the tank for the Rockets. He would, he would, he would comment about when they weren't doing something well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly, you know, a a homer, you know, viewing things through a Rockets lens, doing so, you know, for the benefit of the fans, you know, leading to some some of the best broadcast experiences, uh, you know, over the years for Rockets fans, but not afraid to also call out the team when necessary. And that's how it should be. Right. And I feel like, you know, in a way, you know, the the best fans, the, the team, you know, because if you care about the team, if you want to see the team succeed, you're not going to be afraid to say, hey, well, why aren't they doing this? Right. Like what, what's going on? You're not just going to be a blind homer and say, oh, everything's great. It's all sunshine and lollipops and roses and and whatnot. No, it's it's okay to ha- be a little critical of the team that you hold so dear to your heart. And the broadcast won't be the same without uh, Bill Worrell, but it's time, and he's had a storied, legendary career, and it, it's going to be great to experience this final broadcast and see what all the Rockets, uh, you know, team has in store. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure Calvin Murphy's going to jump on with Worrell a little bit, and it's going to be a fun trip down memory lane. That'd be and, great. Um, it'll definitely yeah. be a, a, a wonderful experience. Hopefully they uh, maybe they'll put uh, have a broadcaster wing in the in the rafters to and put uh, and raise Bill's Bill's you know uh, jersey up there 
with some oh, of the other all-time Rockets greats. That would be that would be something. That would be a a, a beautiful gesture by the organization, and uh, it's definitely something that I hope that we can uh, one day see for Bill. But uh, Andrew, thank you so much for being here today. This was a, a wonderful episode. We hit on a lot of different topics. We went way longer than we were supposed to, so my channel coordinators are going to be very upset with me, but it was a very fun episode. Um, why don't you let listeners know where they can track you down at? Uh, yeah, really appreciate it. You can everyone. You can reach me on Twitter at asukup, A-S-O-U-K-U-P-T-X, Andrew Sukup in Texas. Uh, and that's, that's where I am. Jump on and hope to hear from you. And that's where you talk all, you know, all, it, it, are you, you're just mostly Rockets, right? Or do you dabble in other Houston sports as well? Uh, Rockets and Astros. Um, not, not really the Texans. Good call. Mainly, ma- mainly Rockets and, uh, and then the Astros. Love me some Jordan. <laughs> all right, Andrew. Well, thank you again so much for being here today. Really appreciate it. Again, thanks for the invitation. I had a great time. All right. For today's episode, that is going to do it. As always, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.